speak to us as you spoke to the disciples from the seashore. Help us to recognize your voice and to hear what you're calling us to do, that we might be devoted disciples in these days and bear much fruit for your kingdom. Amen. Please be seated. Well, it's a bank holiday tomorrow. Praise the Lord for that. In the Miles household, we have a tradition. Uh, We take life a little bit more easier, get up a little bit later, and have a brunch together. It's the only time we have a cooked breakfast in our home, and the kitchen is my domain, and I'm the one that prepares this culinary delight. uh, When it's ready... I have the joy of saying, come and have breakfast. It's time. Well, this morning, we hear those words on Jesus' lips. Come and have breakfast. For it was time. Time for restoration. Time for a new beginning. And this really is a big breakfast. No bacon, eggs, beans, mushrooms, fried bread and the like. You can see what we get up to. Uh, Just bread and fish. But it's over this meal that Jesus calls his disciples again. Our gospel reading was the third resurrection appearance in John's gospel, and not in Jerusalem, but by Lake Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee. And it follows what sounds a very natural conclusion in John's gospel. You may remember from last week's reading, the writer appears to have signed off. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Full stop? No. It actually goes on after that. And we have this additional appearance which has caused much scholarly debate as to whether John's actually the one who's writing or not. But I've considered the problem, looked at all the arguments, and I think this is a kind of PS, whether it was written at the time or added later, that's rich with symbolic meaning. You see, this story declares how Peter's encounter with the risen Lord gives him his apostolic task. We know, of course, that Peter failed his Lord. He denied knowing Jesus three times. And he and the other disciples had also witnessed their Lord's crucifixion. They watched him die the most awful death. And I'm sure they had a sense of personal responsibility in some way too. And even though Jesus had appeared to his disciples in that upper room, the good news doesn't seem to have completely impacted them. Peter, the leader, says, I'm going fishing. I'm going back to my old trade. And his mates follow him. I'm going back to what's familiar. Perhaps they'd all find security in their old ways and their old routine. And though Jesus' resurrection was a glorious truth, the truth of what happened seemed to take a while to dawn on them how it was going to play out. Was this just too good to be true? 
It's a very human response. I don't know if you've ever had a high in your life and you think, this is wonderful, but questions come later uh, when you're in a different place, emotionally and spiritually, and you begin to kind of question what was going on. And the disciples were very real people. They were just like us. They were uh, living real, fragile, and vulnerable and complicated lives. And maybe Peter, he had this recurring guilt and he was asking questions. Perhaps it made him wonder whether he could seriously still be a follower after messing it up so much. And where were they heading anyway as a group of disciples? Could it be that despite the resurrection, Peter couldn't face that conversation that he would have to have with his risen Lord. The one that he knew that he must pursue. Perhaps he was going to see because it was a safe place, a place of refuge. And it's human nature, isn't it, when we've made a mistake or we've messed up to kind of run away and hide or, or, you know, just give ourselves some space to be comfortable, to seek a confidence boost But Jesus seems to, even when we're in difficult places, call us out of our comfort zone to be with him. Now, they go fishing, but things don't go to plan. Despite doing what they know best as fishermen, they have a fruitless night. There's no fish. Poor Peter, he'd failed his Lord, and now he was failing at his profession. He'd lost his touch. But that conversation that Peter probably didn't want to have with Jesus, Jesus did want to have with him. And here we see the grace of God. Jesus takes the initiative. He meets the disciples in their need. He knew, remember he'd said this earlier, that Peter was to be the rock. But Peter needed help to move on from the place where he was. And it was the same for the other disciples as well. There was a gospel to proclaim, a mission to begin. And so Jesus here in this story enables this to happen. And he speaks truth into their situation. And it's in a surprising place. Not in the temple, not uh, in the synagogue, but at the beach. And the risen Lord meets them as they're working as well. And firstly, rich with symbolism, Jesus tells them what to do when they're fishing. Now, fishermen, I don't know whether I would have necessarily listened to someone on the shore uh, telling me what to do when I'm the expert, but here we go. There's a voice calling from the distance, and in the darkness, they caught nothing. Remember, John has lots of symbolism. Then, as the light dawned, the man on the shore gives them direction. And it's as they respond in obedience to the voice from the shore and throw their nets to the starboard, then they catch this large quantity of fish. The beloved disciple says, it's the Lord. And then Peter responds with his usual action, plunges into the water and swims to meet Jesus. It's a lovely story. 
There are some things to note in the story. I love the bit about 153 fish. One, two, three. I can imagine them counting it out. Uh, But they probably didn't count them. 153 is a symbolic number. John is uh, rich with symbolism and there are many people, uh, I think it was Jerome who put forward the idea that 153 represented the different varieties of fish that they thought at that time were in the sea. So it made sense for that number to be used. In other words, that was a complete catch. There was no exclusiveness. The net was unbroken. The net was able to bring in everything that there was to be brought in. Perhaps suggesting the universal love of God. But also, once they caught this fish, Jesus asks four fish from the catch to eat. In other words, Christ uses our gifts, our work, our history, all that we have done. And then in verse 9... They share a meal with Christ, reminiscent of the Lord's Supper. The disciples needed to be fed by the risen Christ. So the first thing we see there is Jesus calling out to them where they are in their workplace and bringing them into fellowship with him. But the second thing is really important. This was towards the end. Once Jesus has demonstrated his presence and his power He gets straight to the point, that conversation. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Remember his denial? Three times he asks the question. And love is the important qualification for all of us in our service, our love for the Lord. And Jesus needed to hear from Peter himself the response an echo of his denials, so that he could restore the brokenness, enable forgiveness to flow between them. The air needed clearing, the guilt needed removing, the trust needed building. It's the same with all of us, isn't it? When we've made a mistake or we feel unworthy, we need to be restored. And Jesus in his grace comes to do that. And this surprising beach encounter marks a transition. A transition from Peter and the disciples from being fishermen to being fishers of people. So Peter, in his crushed state and his gradual understanding of what's going on, is lifted up. But Jesus needed a different approach for different people. He probably needs a different approach for you and me. Take Saul in our first reading. Saul was already puffed up. He didn't need lifting up anymore. Uh, He needed humbling. So Saul had been driven by a desire to persecute the church, destroy the church. And he had this sense of his own importance, a successful Jew. But he needed to be brought low, literally. And by falling to the ground when he met the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus, he quite surprisingly encounters Jesus. And the word to him is not come and have breakfast, but why are you persecuting me? Jesus gets straight to the point. And I believe today Jesus wants to get straight to the point with us. 
there's something that he wants to say to each one of us. And it's whether we're listening out for that voice that comes to us and we'll recognize it when it comes and it may be even as I'm speaking or in the prayers, God's been nagging away at something within you. Listen for the voice. Peter in his boat and on the beach. Peter is in his boat and on the beach. Saul is on the way to carry out persecution. They're actually doing something when God speaks through Jesus. And then a dramatic transformation follows for both men. And two leaders on whom the church is built as well. Without either of those encounters, we would not have the church as it is today. The early church wouldn't have been as successful without Peter, the preacher, the leader, the rock. Saul, who becomes the evangelist and the systematic theologian. All with an encounter with the living Jesus. This morning, let us hear the words of Jesus. Come and have breakfast, or it may be another word to you today. Come as you are. Come with all your failures and your weakness. Bring your raw talent that you might not even realize that you possess. Come in communion with Jesus. Let his voice commission you to be fishers of people. Learn how to feed people with his word and to care for people. That restoration is very clear. Feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. And take up your cross and follow your Lord. It's hard when Jesus asks us to do things that we don't really want to do. But on Vocation Sunday, which is today, we need to consider what it is that Jesus might be asking us to do and to be. We might have been trying to retreat a bit and duck and hide, but his word will come to you. It might be to do with something inside the church, more likely it's something outside of the church. Kate Cooper, the professor of history at the Royal Holloway University of London, pointed out on Radio 4 recently that Christianity spread from 12 to 10% of the population of the Roman Empire by the year 300. That's around 6 million people in that time. Despite terrible persecution that followed, the church continued to grow. And it spread throughout the world. As the church is building, rebuilding, I should say, after a pandemic, let's not be disillusioned by lower numbers or our feelings of inadequacy or our feelings of stress or concern for the future. Rather, let's think, what might the Lord be able to do through us? Even in the toughest of places, or among those who feel that they're failures, or they have been a disappointment, persisting with the hardest of hearts. Jesus used Peter's leadership in its rawest state, in his boldness of character. Jesus knew 
both Peter and Saul's qualities, which combined with the power of the Holy Spirit will be exactly what was needed to give birth to the early church, to enable the work of the kingdom. What's to say that Jesus hasn't got a word for us in this time? I believe he has. And we need to remember that it's the Lord's work, not our work. We're simply called to share in what is his mission. So I want to ask you the question that Jesus asked Peter. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Of course, you know we love you, Lord. But just let it sink in. Something perhaps to think about over your bank holiday Monday. For I believe the time is now for each one of us. Wherever you are, however you're feeling, I encourage you to spend more time listening out for that word to you. Maybe you need to have that conversation with him. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, needs you to follow him. Don't try to map out what he wants you to do. Uh, Just step out, trust him, and follow, and go. Because I believe your role and your future will become clear because it's as we journey with him, things unfold. We can't see it at the time. And maybe he wants to empower you and me to do something for him. So my message, hear the call of the kingdom. Lift your eyes to the king. Let his song rise within you as a fragrant offering. How God, rich in mercy, came in Christ to redeem all who trust in his unfailing grace. Amen. We stand to sing.